0: Hello, good evening, good day everybody and welcome to the first episode of the Indian Interest Podcast in 2023. I hope the year 2023 is going well for all of you, yes. Um, so as always, before we begin, let's see who all is there. On the live chat, I can see Animish mm-hmm. in the Achilles, KK Varma, Crazy Brain, Tushar, Tatakai, Nishad, Das, Patel, Rudra, Ruchika. Aman, Kaustub, Shalu, Abhay, Jadav, anirudh Pankaj, Surya Kant Rakshasi Raj, <laughs> Sathej, Rohan, Manmat, Tiwari, Shriram, Sagar, Chandrakant, Akshit, Mazar Typical Gamer, Prince Jauhan, Gina, Joseph Stalin, Fatty just ate, Trupti Patel, Harita, Vunam, Garvit, Samudra, Saddam Hussein is online, <laughs> Bhavya Deep. Uh, Brijesh, Your Daddy, Subhajit, Prince Chauhan, Ishan Parlevar, Rose and Rain, Adarsh, Shivam, Nandan, Anuj, Jenil, Lokik, Sampriti Goswami, Charvaka, Anuj, Invincible Indian, Debo Jyoti, Sanyam Jain, Sunita Sopra, Meme Studio, Jatin, Bhavik, Vaibhav, Mukta, Agarwal, Ishan, Verma, prabhav agrahari tapas roy and lots of other people lazy crow divya abhay abhaya hota india country ball everybody else thank you so much for being on this live stream this fine evening fine day wherever you are i hope you're doing well so this is the first episode for this year and as always, lots of interesting and important things, events are happening worldwide in the sphere, in the domain of geopolitics. There is, for instance, the, uh, the news that's emerged that India has uh, rejected the American fa 18 fighter plane and opted for the Rafale Marine uh, of fighter jet for its aircraft carrier. Uh, I'm not sure if the news is 100% confirmed, but it's very likely that India is going to go for that. That's an interesting development, and there's many many other things happening as well. But today, we will not talk about those things. Today, for the first podcast, for the first episode of this year, we're going to focus on India's number one threat. The big threat, the big enemy, the big adversary, which is China. And China. Chinese expansionism because the reason the reason why China is the number one threat for India and every other nation in Asia is because of China's expansionist policies tendencies belligerent uh, policies um, that the CCP the Chinese Communist Party has adopted since the 1950s yes it all started with its invasion of Tibet and there's been other other things as well so uh, And for the longest time, India, we in India, our media, our leaders, our politicians, the the people, the citizens, we all thought of Pakistan as the only enemy of India. Even after 1962, even after 1967, even after 1987, we just kept focusing on Pakistan. It's only after the the Doklam crisis, was it in 2017, was it? Somewhere around then and after the uh, galwan clashes of 2020 that is when the focus shifted to china that's when the media started scrambling to understand china and nowadays there are chinese china experts and all that, uh, that's good to see that the focus has now moved towards China, the media, especially uh, the, for the media, foreign policy always meant Pakistan for the longest time ever. Yeah, uh, So it's good that the focus has now shifted towards China. China is the real threat, not only for India, but every other nation in Eurasia, in the Asian portion of Eurasia. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Chinese expansionist policies, uh, China's uh, territorial claims. There are stated territorial claims that China has and there are unstated China- territorial claims that China has. You know, There are active claims and there are dormant claims that will be reopened when the time is right. That's what the Chinese Communist Party will do. So uh, what are these territorial claims all about? And, and what on what basis do the Chinese make these territorial claims? First of all, let me put something on the screen so that you understand what sort of territorial claims the Chinese have stated and unstated. Uh, this is a tweet by what looks like a pro-China account or whatever. It says, land, land lost by China after the fall of the Qing dynasty. Right Now, please understand that um, some of the maps I'm going to put on the screen will not represent what our... Perception and our claims on our territory is, but for the sake of understanding what the Chinese claim and what other perceptions are, I'm going to put certain maps on the screen. Let's not get emotional. Let's be realistic. This is all for the for the purpose of of explaining what's going on and what the Chinese claim. So if certain maps do not are not consistent with India's stated territorial claims, do not get upset or annoyed or emotional about it. I am just doing this for educational purposes, all right? That's out of the way. Hopefully, hopefully, I may have to say it multiple times because, yeah, that's how it goes with Indians, very emotional people. So this is kind of something that represents China's territorial claims, uh, irredentist claims on territories, uh, exterior to its uh, geographical boundaries, right? And this is the kind of map that you that you typically see circulating on Chinese language websites and on the Chinese Internet, which is uh, the Chinese have this great firewall, right, that uh, uh, the the people of China are not able to access certain Western websites like Google, like Twitter, and so on. And there are certain portions of the, of the Chinese internet that most people outside China are not aware about because it's all in the Chinese language, in Mandarin. And uh, over here in India, nobody knows Mandarin. Nobody bothered to learn Mandarin and so on. Most of us, yeah, including me, I don't, know, I don't understand Mandarin and so on. So uh, this is the kind of map that circulates in the chinese internet so as you can see there are expansive massive territorial claims they claim what they call outer manchuria which is all russian territory all the way up to vladivostok the port of vladivostok uh, they claim the russian island of sakhalin they claim the entirety of mongolia and north of mongolia parts of siberia uh, they claim regions that are west of Xinjiang. obviously they as we know they they claim parts of jammu and kashmir they claim uh regions of Nepal, they, they claim Arunachal Pradesh, they claim territories in Myanmar, Vietnam and, and essentially all around them, yeah, even Tajikistan and much more, so these are the kind of territorial claims they have now, what is the basis of these territorial claims? The basis of these Chinese territorial claims is just greed, but they try to rationalize it and, and give it some legitimacy by claiming that these are territories they have lost from the time of the Yuan dynasty or the or the Qing dynasty. So the Yuan dynasty, in case you don't know, was a what the Chinese historians call a conquest dynasty. It was a bunch of foreigners who invaded China, successfully, conquered China, and then established a dynasty. Yeah? So the Yuan dynasty was, was reigned from the 1270s, from the 1360s or 1370s, about a century, rough, slightly short of a century. It was a Mongol dynasty. Uh, the first genuine emperor of the Yuan dynasty was Kublai Khan, the grandson of the great conqueror Chinggis Khan, right? Uh, and clearly, as we know, the Mongol conquest was incredible, the largest, uh, the Mongols, co- under chinggis khan conquered more territory in 20 years than the roman emperors conquered in more than 200 years enormous territory and now after the yuan dynasty was established in china the chinese now today the chinese communist party tries to stake claims stake claim to territories that the that the mongols had conquered during their conquests by saying that the yuan dynasty was a chinese dynasty in truth the yuan dynasty was not a chinese dynasty it was a mongol dynasty uh, Ching, uh, kublai khan did not see himself as chinese he saw himself as mongol his 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 culture was tengrism and buddhism yes and uh, he did not see himself as a Ch- as chinese he was very much mongol and so were the uh, so the later and especially the previous kings or emperors of the of the Yuan dynasty. So this is a conquest dynasty, but the Chinese very conveniently use the conquests of the Mongol Empire to uh, stake territorial claims. And then you had the Qing dynasty, the Qing dynasty, or whatever we call it, Q-I-N-G, Qing dynasty, from the 1630s until the early 20th century. Yeah, it was a... Once again, this was not a Chinese dynasty. This was a Manchu dynasty. Uh, it uh, originated in Manchuria in the far east of China, north of Kore- of the Korea Korean peninsula. Yeah. So this dynasty was a long-lasting dynasty. It had certain... Uh, it, it did have certain territories, and certain territories uh, the Chinese claim were vassals of the Qing, Qing dynasty, Qing dynasty, whatever it is. Yeah, so they did stake claims on territories based on that. Essentially, it's all about greed, it's all about territorial ambitions, it's all about expansionism. So, they they try to rationalize and justify these claims on the basis of these fabricated, they, they, they pull out ancient maps which they may have created recently. Yeah, uh, the other problem is that the The nomenclature that the Europeans have given to various parts of Asia is kind of pro-Chinese. For instance, what has always been known as the Champa Sea, Champa Samudra is now called the South China Sea. So the Chinese are now sticking, you know, laying claim to that territory as well and so on. So there are all these claims that that we are going to discuss today so this is one. this what you see on the screen is one example of chinese expansionism of what they perceive to be territories they have lost here is another one which is even more expansive yes once again this is a chinese language map i don't know from what date it is but as you can see they are claiming malaysia they're claiming the entirety of southeast asia they're claiming much of myanmar burma as well and and so on you know parts of india parts of uh, the temporary nation of pa- of Pakistan, they are claiming much of Afghanistan and Tajikistan and God knows what. Yeah, uh, and the, the, and the truth is that much of China is occupied territory. Manchuria has never been Chinese. It is it it. it, it, it the Manchus are a separate culture, non-Chinese, non-Han culture. They have already uh, occupied the southern part of, of of the historical region of Mongolia which has never been chinese the people who live there aren't chinese obviously now they've have, they've have been settling han people there so Mongol, southern mongolia itself is occupied territory we obviously have tibet which has never been chinese in in the past in the in the 8th century i believe the tibetan kings had conquered china and and captured the, the capital of china yeah of that time and of course we have the east turkestan region which is where well it was once called uttarakuru it, it is now called uh, well, they call it Xinjiang. It's where the Turkic origin people, the Uyghurs, live. Yeah. So all these are occupied territories. The real Han homel- hom- homeland is in the east of China. Even what is called, what is, uh, uh, designated as China here much of it is not China because again the Yunnan region is a Thai region the people who live there aren't Han Chinese they are the Thai people who are very closely related to the people of Assam the Ahom people and the people of Thailand the Thai or Thai people right so that's how it is so 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 much of this territory is all conquered and occupied territory and they the appetite for conquest and and uh, expansionism doesn't end with that. They want more, they want more, and they will keep on seeking more until somebody stops them. That's the deal with the Chinese Communist Party, right? So let's take a look at, uh, let's take uh, examine these territorial claims one by one, so that we get an understanding of what the Chinese mindset is like. Because it's important for us Indians to understand that the Chinese uh, territorial claims on Indian territory are not a one-off. We have to understand the Pattern, the overall pattern that the Chinese exhibit. They have territorial claims everywhere with almost every neighbor of theirs. Even where there, so the, the territorial dis- disputes are so-called settled. Even there, the Salami slicing tactics continue. And they they have kept certain claims dormant for now and they will reopen them in the future. So let's begin with Russia. Yes. Let us begin. Uh, with the Sino-Soviet border conflict. And let's let's put that on the map. Let's go to the Sino-Soviet border conflict. So this is something that dates back to the 1960s. This is a Wikipedia article. Statutory warning, Wikipedia is not necessarily a reliable source of information, especially when it comes to Indian history. I am using this for convenience, but do not ever trust what Wikipedia says and rely on it 100%. Alright? Uh, so the sino soviet border conflict uh, it dates back to the 1960s it happened after the sino soviet ideological and political shift um, after the death of joseph stalin yes uh and so on so there was this clash in eastern china eastern russia let's put uh, let's bring that out on the map so let's zoom in and let's go to the present-day boundary of Russia and China along the Usuri River. There is a river that essentially delineates the current Russia-China boundary. It's called the Usuri River and it is here on Zhenbao Island. Where is this island? Let's see where it is. There is this island called Zhenbao. Here it is. The Zhenbao Island. Let's take a look at what it looks like. So it is over here, that the major clashes happened in 1969 in on this island and in the surrounding region. Right? This was this was a series of clashes between China and the USSR. I'm zooming out so that you understand the context where it is. It is essentially in line with the northern part of the Japanese island of Hokkaido. Right? So let's see what this was like. So th- this is. Uh, These clashes happened. These were very massive clashes, very intense clashes. Several hundred soldiers most likely died. Total, how many died, where? I mean, the Chinese claimed that the Russians, more Soviets died. The Soviets claimed that more Chinese soldiers died. So both sides had differing claims. But it's clear that these were very serious clashes. Several hundred soldiers died. There were artillery clashes and and much more. If you want to see some images of these clashes, you can see this kind of reminds you of the kind of... uh, brawls that indian and chinese troops have along the uh india-tibet border these days yes kind of reminds you of that as you can see very serious uh guys here there you go the same sort of thing that you see today on the along the india-tibet border uh this is an artistic depiction of what happened and so on so these were very serious clashes it reminds you of this sort of thing which is happening right now on the India-Tibet border between Indian and Chinese troops. That's the kind of thing that happened in the 1960s. At the, uh, as a consequence of the Usuri River clashes, the USSR had actually decided to nuke China. They had decided to nuke China. It was only because of US intervention that China was saved. The Americans stepped in and threatened the ussr with nuclear retaliation if the ussr went ahead and nuked china and this eventually led to the uh, to the to the us chinese détente in the 1970s and the opening up of the, of the chinese economy uh, that's a whole different story so it all started with the usuri river clashes uh so then uh, so then in in 1991 the Chi- the chinese and the, and the soviets they signed a border agreement they this, this set up a mechanism for resolving the border issue. And much of it was done in 1991. And it was in 2008 that the border survey was completed and the demarcation was done between Russia and China. As you can see, Mr. Lavrov, who is the current foreign minister, was even then the foreign minister of Russia. Russia, as we know, is the successor of the USSR. So uh, in 2008 the border demarcation was completed and the and the border dispute was kind of resolved officially. And yet the Russians and the Chinese don't trust each other. Uh, this is an article from an American publication. It's about whether Russia and China could go to war. And this is from 2018. It says that in June 2018, Russia armed a 4th Brigade in the Far East of Russia with the deadly Iskander M short-range ballistic missile system. Yeah, So there are now twice as many brigades equipped with these nuclear-capable missiles on the Chinese border than in any other Russian military district. The Iskander M has a range of about 500 kilometers, which puts China squarely in its sights. So this Russian ballistic missile does not target Beijing, but it certainly targets China. Yeah, And south of the border, China has reportedly moved the Dongfeng-41, an ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missile, capable of uh, carrying multiple warheads, to its northernmost province which is uh, uh, which is Man- which is Manchuria right so that's the kind of tensions that we still have between Russia and 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 uh, and China but to and and in recent times we have heard China speaking about Vladivostok so the Russian port of Vladivostok is its is, is its easternmost port it's over here it is very close to North Korea it's very close to the, to the Korean Peninsula this port here. It is a co. It is a port that kind of freezes for two three months in the winter, but it's uh, it's where their pass. It's where the Russian Pacific fleet is, is stationed close to Vladivostok. It's a very important port. Uh, the Chinese claim this territory of Russia, and uh, in, in in recent times, the Chinese Chinese level uh, Chinese language publications have once again raised. The the specter of claiming Vladivostok and what they call outer Manchuria by referring to Vladivostok by its so-called Chinese name and all that. So, as you can see, the the, the this territorial dispute, which is de facto resolved, is from the Chinese perspective a dormant territorial dispute. When Times change when time when in, in a different time in the future, when the situation is more advantageous for China, they will certainly reopen this dispute. They even claim the Sakhalin Island, this island which is in the middle of the screen right now. This is a Russian island. The Chinese claim that the, the, the people of Sakhalin used to pray, pay tribute to the, to the Qing dynasty, the Qing dynasty, at some point in the in the past. They said that they were vassals of the Qing dynasty. And uh, that's why. Uh, from that perspective, this island should belong to China. They have all these wonderful justifications and rationalizations of their ridiculous uh, territorial claims. uh So that's about Russia, and of course, when it comes to the USSR, the USSR encompassed much of what is now Central Asia: Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, eh, Azerbaijan, and so on. So uh, there are if you if you zoom in here. Uh, At the Tajikistan-China border, you will see that Google is displaying the border with a dashed line, which indicates that Google supports the Chinese perception that this border is disputed. You will find something very interesting if you look at Google Maps. Google always supports Chinese territorial claims or, or Chinese perceptions of where the boundaries are disputed. Google will always do that. Of course, in India, when when Google is displayed, Google Maps is shown in India. It will show uh, the correct map of India, most like mostly, but with other nations, it shows this, these dashed lines. So Tajikistan was a part of the USSR, and the Chinese had a border dispute there. Yes, so even today, this border, the Chinese claim is disputed. Uh, so the China and Tajikistan signed a border agreement. In 2011, yeah, and uh, as part of this border agreement between China and Tajikistan, uh, the, the nation of Tajikistan turned over about a thousand square kilometers of territory of the of the Pamir Mountains region to China. The Tajiks were forced. I mean, they they uh, as part of the negotiations and negotiated agreement, the Tajiks gave away about a thousand square kilometers of territory to China, as you can see here. This is from uh, 2011 again. Tajikistan cedes land to China in the Pamir Mountains region. It is a region that uh, that encompasses Tajikistan, uh, Xinjiang, present day China, and Afghanistan. So, uh, this is the, the Chinese claim this is a century old border dispute. Yeah. And yet, even today, if you look at the map, it is shown with a dashed line, the border between Tajikistan and China, which means the Chinese claim more territory of Tajikistan. Even though this agreement was signed and Tajikistan gave away territory to China, the Chinese still want more territory. They are not satisfied. And Google supports this claim for, for whatever reason. Uh, Google is banned in China. Yeah, Google is blocked in China. And yet Google always supports Chinese China's perceptions of its territorial uh, claims and all that. As you as you see here, does Beijing claim Pamir? What do Chinese media write about Tajiks in Tajikistan? Uh, this again, as you can see, is a lake in the in the Pamir region. It it is it it has a striking resemblance to India's Pangong Lake. Yes, in in Ladakh. Uh, so this is an article from where is it? Twenty twenty, which means that the, the the Chinese clearly still regard that border issue as an unresolved and open border border issue. Um, yeah, it's, it's a Russian language article, but as you can see, if you read this article, you will see that the Chinese still regard this this border issue as an open border issue and they would like to acquire more land from Tajikistan. Yeah, which is very strange because the, 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 the Han people have never lived in this region, not within 2000 kilometers of this region, and yet China keeps claiming territories that belong to other, other nations and other cultures. Uh, So here it is again, Tajikistan, another victim of Chinese belligerence in Central Asia. Uh, And this is the deal. So you may not know this. Most of you may not know this. I I think last week I spoke about the fact that India has a couple of air bases in Tajikistan. uh, North of Afghanistan, in the west of Tajikistan, yes. Well, the truth is that the Chinese also have a base, a military base north of afghanistan's wakhan corridor and very close to india to 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 kashmir and uh, ladakh so there's a chinese base in the territory that china considers uh, to be its own there's a chinese base there and uh, and, the, and tajikistan in in case you don't know is deeply indebted to china and the chinese typically leverage this to uh, force the the nation that is indebted to it, especially Tajikistan in this case, to give China mining rights in its territory. And then slowly they they lay claims on the territory and they pressurize the Tajik government to give away more territory to to China. So this Chinese base could could be in preparation for the Chinese laying claims to more Tajik territory and eventually pressurizing the Tajikistan politicians to give China more territory. And that obviously, if, if you have a Chinese base here, it is dangerous for Afghanistan, it is dangerous for India as well, and dangerous for Pakistan as well, in, in case the Pakistanis don't know about it. Pakistanis, the Chinese are not Pakistan's friend, friends. You know? So that is the deal. So it all started with the USSR, the dispute with the USSR, and the Chinese used that to lay claims to regions in Central Asia as well. So that is the situation right now. This border dispute between China and Tajikistan is still open despite the 2011 agreement in which Tajikistan handed over a thousand square kilometers roughly of territory to the Chinese. The Chinese are not satisfied. They are never, ever, ever, ever satisfied no matter what you do to appease them. Please understand this, my dear Indian viewers. I'm sure viewers from other nations will understand this better and will have a more Realistic and pragmatic approach to geopolitics, but uh, it is very important for Indians to understand this. No matter what you do to appease China, they are never satisfied. They always want more. Appeasing China is seen as a sign of weakness. That's how the Chinese Communist Party sees any attempt at appeasing them. It means that there there is an opportunity for more and more. So, Tajikistan is right now under pressure from China. India obviously has a couple of air bases in uh, western Tajikistan. So, India is doing its its part to uh, kind of support Tajikistan in a mutually beneficial manner. Uh, the air bases are not aimed at China, like I've said in the past. They are aimed at, uh, at uh, essentially at Pakistan. And maybe also to, to safeguard uh, various, and, and to support the Afghan uh, interests as well. So that's the deal with Tajikistan. Now that's not where it all ends. There is so much more when it comes to uh, China's territorial claims. You, we have dealt with Russia, the Usuri River clashes, the Shenbao Island where it all went down. You have Outer Manchuria, you have Vladivostok, you have Sakhalin that they claim, and you have the Chinese claims on Tajikistan. The Chinese may also claim certain territories in the Siberian region, you know, because let's let's once again go to the map. Uh, where's the map? Uh, where is the map? Here's the map. So if you see the uh, China Russia border, you will see that there is a massive amount of uh, shared border in the east. Yeah, in in uh, in the Manchuria region, China's Manchuria, China's present day Manchuria region. Yeah, but there is also this territory over here, north of Urumqi, which is about fifty kilometers or so. I don't know. It's maybe ten kilometers, maybe maybe forty kilometers. It's not a very long boundary, but it is another bo- boundary that in uh, that uh, China and Russia have. It is likely that the Chinese claim some territory territories in Siberia as well. Obviously, it is not a stated claim, but it is a claim that they will open in the future when they feel that the situation is advantageous for them. So when it comes to Russia, the Chinese have multiple stated and unstated claims on Russian territory. Right now, the claims are dormant. Now, right now, they are essentially unstated, most more or less. But in Chinese language media, there are, you know, uh, references to these claims from time to time. Uh, so that's the deal with when it comes to Russia and China, Chinese claims on Russian territory. Now let's talk about Japan. So uh, let's once again go to the map. Once again, go to the map. Here's the map. All right. So when it comes to Japan, let's let's take a look at Taiwan. We will come to Taiwan, sure. But if you look at Taiwan, you will understand the Chinese claims on Japan. So Japan is this nation here. It's it's an archipelago. It's a it's a number of islands. You have the northernmost island of Hokkaido. You have the Kuril Islands, which are currently uh, occupied by the Russians, and you have the Russian. Now, the the Japanese eastern territories, the Southern, Southern, southern territories, for instance, you have Okinawa here in the south, which is the large great island, the last great island in the south. And then you have these islands here. The easternmost Japanese island is Yonaguni, which is maybe, I would say, about 100 kilometers from Taiwan itself. It's the easternmost territory of Japan. Now, if you go north of yonaguni if you go north of this region you you can see this little these little islands over here yeah and this is what google calls senkaku islands diao yu dao islands or diao diao tai islands so these are also japanese islands let's uh, put the satellite imagery in place it's a bunch of islands which belong to japan and the chinese claim these islands The Chinese have their own name for these islands. They call them the Diaoyu Islands or whatever it is written over here. And uh, right now there is this territorial dispute, this tussle going on. So the Chinese routinely send their ships to sail through these waters. Uh, They send their fishing vessels in these waters. They send their naval vessels, uh, Navy vessels in in uh, in these waters. They have overflights by Chinese Air Force planes over these japanese islands and it's it's uh, ratcheting up the tensions the japanese also are now sending their navy and air force mm-hmm. in the region so this is a place it's it's a, essentially a pe- bunch of rocks essentially it is mm-hmm. but this has become a, a, a flashpoint a territorial dispute between japan and china so that is an issue that the chinese have with japan uh, as apart from that the chinese don't claim currently any other Japanese territory. It's all about the Senkaku Diaoi Islands. It's about pressurizing, pressurizing the Jap- Japanese. So that is a dispute that the Chinese have with Japan. Now, let's talk about Mongolia. So as we know, the great Mongol conqueror, the great Sri Chinggis Khan, conquered China not once, but twice. And the complete conquest of China was completed by Chinggis Khan's son, uh, the second Khan of the Mongols, the second Khagan of the Mongols, Ogodei Khan, um, and Chinggis Khan's grandson Kublai Khan was the first emperor of the Yuan Dynasty of China. He was Mongol. It was not a. It was not a Chinese dynasty. It was a Mongol dynasty, a conquest dynasty. And now the Chinese use the conquests of the Mongol Empire to to stake claims to territory. So we know that Mongolia, present-day Mongolia, was part of the Mongol Empire, yes. So the Chinese now claim the entirety of Mongolia as their territory. They have already, uh, like I showed, let's, let's go back to this image here. Give me a second, let me put that on the screen. Uh, so as you can see, Southern Mongolia, which is the Southern half of the traditional territory of Mongolia is already under Chinese occupation. It has never belonged to the Chinese people. It is a land that traditionally has always belonged to the Mongol people and the Mongol nation. That this is southern Mongolia is already under Chinese occupation, and the Chinese actually claim the entirety of Mongolia. And they justify this by claiming that it was part of the territory of the Yuan dynasty or something like that. Yeah so the chinese claim the entire nation of mongolia and they have never given up their claim on this it is something currently the reason why mongolia is currently free right now is because it is a nice buffer territory between china and russia the chinese and the russians both do not want to have an even longer shared border because both nations are extremely distrustful of each other the chinese fear the russian uh, military might and the nuclear uh, arsenal that the Russians have, which the Chinese can't even dream to match. And the Russians uh, also, uh, they fear, they they are, they are wary of the Chinese expansionist tendencies and the incredible economic might that the Chinese have amassed in the past uh, three, four years decades since the late 1980s and the corresponding military strength that the Chinese have acquired. So both nations are extremely wary of each other. They do not trust each other. And that's why it, it's, it is really good to have a big buffer state in between, which is essentially today a harmless state. Mongolia is not a great military power, economic power or any such thing. Yeah, it's mostly empty. Huge territory that is mostly empty, very few. The population of Mongolia is very small. So it, it, it serves an important uh, purpose as a buffer state between Russia and China. That is the only reason why Mongolia is free today. If the Chinese decide to invade Mongolia today, there's nothing the Mongols can do about it. Or if the Russians decide to invade Mongolia today, there's nothing the Mongols can do about it. So Mongolia is currently in this precarious position. Yeah. Uh, So that's the deal. So the Chinese claim Mongolia. The Russians have never actually claimed Mongolia. They did, uh, well, they did, employ Mongolia as, as a satellite state or a vassal state during the days of the USSR, yes. Mongolia was a socialist uh, socialist nation in those days. They essentially ended the imperial dynasty uh, of the Khans and they, they had their own communist party and all that. That's a whole different history. Uh, so Mongolia is in a precarious position. The Russians don't claim Mongolia, but, but the Chinese have a claim on Mongolia. It is not a justifiable claim. But it is there anyway. Might is right in geopolitics. Might is always right. So that is the deal. Mongolia is part of China's territorial claims. As you can see, the Chinese want everything. They want the whole world. They claim every nation. Let's talk about Korea. Uh, let's go back to the map and let's take a look at Korea. So Korea again. In, in In the past. So as you can see, the Korean peninsula used uh, in case you don't know it used to be a unified peninsula under various korean dynasties and and kingdoms yes uh today the korean peninsula is divided into two regions north korea and south korea this all goes back to the 1950s the days of the korean war at that time there was no sino soviet split ideological and, and political split joseph stalin was still in power in the ussr uh and 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 mao zedong was in power in china and the Americans and the Chinese went to war in the Korean Peninsula, and the Chinese were able to drive the Americans back up to this—I don't know what they call—which parallel they call it. There's this line, the 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 ceasefire, or or the dividing line between. There's been no ceasefire, obviously. The Korean War is technically still on; ceasefire has never been signed. So the Americans were pushed back by the Chinese. It was essentially a war between the Americans and the chinese uh, the north korean forces were chinese proxy forces yeah so now we have this dividing line so so korea is divided and the chinese have from time to time made statements that essentially claim that korea also belongs to china uh you can you can google it i i haven't googled it but you can you can find references to that the chinese from time to time make statements that essentially say that the chinese claim uh, either partly or fully the Korean peninsula uh, because apparently it was un- it was a vassal state of various uh, imperial dynasties of China at various points in time. Uh, so essentially right now North Korea is a China's Chinese puppet, it's a Chinese vassal, uh, it is uh, under de facto Chinese control and South Korea as we know is under permanent US military occupation. So, so the Korean peninsula is divided between China and the US yeah so the chinese have territorial claims here as well and they would like to see the americans evicted from south korea whenever it happens in the future it's a long term game yeah maybe in the next 50 years maybe in the next 20 years who knows when but that's how it is so there are chinese claims on the korean peninsula as well now obviously uh, we have taiwan and we we have discussed taiwan many many times uh the Chinese obviously regard Taiwan as a renegade province. After the end of the Chinese Civil War, in which the Communists under Mao Zedong prevailed, the uh, the the uh, the losing forces of of Chiang Kai-shek were forced to. Uh, move to this island of Taiwan where they've set up their own government. They call it the Republic of China, ROC. And they have essentially the same territorial claims as the Chinese Communist Party. The Taiwanese claim Arunachal Pradesh. The Taiwanese claim Tibet. The Taiwanese claim Tajikistan. The Taiwanese claim Ladakh. The same. It's the same story. They are the same, actually. They have very much the same uh, uh, um, mindset and worldview. So the Chinese... Communist Party claims Taiwan is a renegade province. Now, you may not know this, but there are a couple of Taiwanese islands very close to mainland China which have not been taken over by the Chinese Communist Party. So, if we click here, it's uh, this is Fujian, Taiwan, okay, uh, China. Uh, where are those islands? It's very close to the Chinese mainland. Is it this one here? Uh, okay, I am. Maybe it's this one here. Let's see. Is it this? Yeah, this is the island which belongs to which is currently under Taiwanese control. It's very close to China. And that's the deal. So the Chinese claim Taiwan as a renegade province, and they have made it clear that they will not rule out the use of military force to regain Taiwan. And this will happen in the future. Is that's what the Chinese say. So clearly, Taiwan is a very major territorial claim that the Chinese have. And obviously, it is is—it is historically... Uh, well, if you look at the history of Taiwan, the original people of Taiwan are what they call the Taiwanese Aboriginal people who were subjugated and subdued and defeated by the Chinese, the Han Chinese, the invaders. And now Taiwan is a Chinese island, a Chinese-speaking and Chinese-majority, more or less, island. But the true culture and the true inhabitants are... The so-called Taiwanese Aboriginal people. So anyhow, China has a territorial claim on Taiwan. So that is the deal. Now let's come to uh, uh, what they call the South China Sea. So one of the greatest uh, disservices the 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 Europeans the Westerners have done uh, to the world is renaming territories as per what they saw as per as per their worldview. For instance, there is this region, which is now called the South China Sea, for close to 2000 years, it was called the Champa Sea, Champa Samudra. There was this kingdom called the Champa Kingdom, it was a Hindu Hindu kingdom, uh, present day Vietnam and Cambodia. Let's see if we can put that on the map, that region, give me a second, here it is. So let's go there. So this is what Google calls the South China Sea. There was this kingdom called Champa in Vietnam and Cambodia. Essentially, large parts of Southeast Asia. It was called the Champa Kingdom. Uh, it 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 existed for nearly two thousand years. It was a major maritime kingdom or empire, a thalassocratic kingdom, which means it had it was a it was a naval power, a maritime power, and the ships, the naval the navy of the Champa kingdom or empire controlled this entire region which is now called the South China Sea. It was then called the Champa Samudra or the Champa Sea. Yeah? And at one point in time, Champa was a vassal of the Chola Empire because we know that the Cholas conquered Southeast Asia all the way to the Philippines. So at that time, the the Champa Kingdom was still independent, but it paid tribute to the Chola Empire and it recognized the Chola Empire as its overlord. So Champa was at that time a vassal of the Cholas. But Chola, but Champa existed for nearly 2000 years and the South China Sea should rightfully be called the, the, the Champa Sea. But the British and the Europeans renamed it to South to this what is now called the South China Sea and the Chinese Communist Party has used that to its advantage, by laying claim to this entire region, the entire South China Sea region. yeah. And they quote various uh, fictitious historical events, like the voyages of the fictitious uh, Admiral Zhang He or whatever. The story of Zhang He doesn't appear until the, until, until the early 21st century. Before that, nobody had ever heard of Zhang He. And then the Americans, for the strangest, which is very strange, the Americans started publishing articles about this great Chinese Admiral eunuch admiral apparently called Zhang He, who travelled all across the world and conquered regions all across the world, including Sri Lanka and whatnot. I I, I have the strong feeling this is a completely fictitious and made-up story. But the Chinese have latched latched onto that and they now claim the entire South China Sea region as their own uh, private lake, so to say. So let's take a look and and they have this infamous nine-dash line that we will speak about. So what is this nine-dash line? This essentially is the nine dash line. Let me embiggen the image, bigify it. Yep. so you can see this brown dashes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and a half. Essentially, that's the infamous Chinese nine dash line. They claim that the entire territory within the nine dashes belongs to China, and they could have made it a, a non dashed line and a complete a dark line. You know, unbroken line to make it very clear where the claims lie, but they have kept it at a dashed line so that uh, so as to maintain some ambiguity about their claims, which means that they can claim more territory in the future. They can extend the dashes somewhere else also if they wish. For instance, in the in the in the southwest near the Natuna Islands. So this is the Chinese nine dash line. Uh, much of it includes the territories that are the exclusive economic zones of the Philippines, of Malaysia, of Vietnam, and even Indonesia. And of course, Taiwan, they anyway claim as their own. There is Mischief Reef, there, there are the Parasol Islands, the Scarborough Shoal, the Spratly Islands, uh, and so on. So this is a different uh, representation of that, yeah. And over here, you can see the exclusive economic zones of the various nations, Brunei as well, Malaysia, you have Indonesia, you have Vietnam, and much more. And the Philippines as well. So lots of territories that are part of the exclusive economic zones of these nations are now claimed by China. And the Chinese have built up this massive navy. Numerically speaking, the Chinese Navy is now the largest Navy in the world. It has the Chinese have more naval vessels than the Americans do. Yeah. Of course, when it comes to qualitative. Uh, to, to looking at the quality of the navy, the, the Americans still have the upper hand, but the Chinese are try, are doing their best to catch up numerically and eventually qualitatively as well with the Americans. So, because and, and the Chinese have the the other other advantage of a massive fishing fleet, a massive massive commercial fleet of ships and vessels that doubles up as as, as you know you know like the Chinese Coast Guard and all that. So it doubles. It, it is like they use their non-naval, non-military shipping vessels as well to expand and and uh, and and to make good their territorial claims in this region. So you have this huge presence of Chinese fishing vessels in within the nine-dash line, and they indulge in large-scale illegal fishing activities in the exclusive economic zones of the Philippines, of Brunei, of Malaysia, of Vietnam, and all that. Yeah. And, and they have been building up artificial islands in the Spratly Islands region, in the Scarborough Shoal region and various other places. They are even encroaching on the uh, territorial integrity of, the, of Indonesia. The Natuna Islands are now, you could say, disputed islands. So even the Indonesians are seeing their territory being claimed by the Chinese and their exclusive economic zone being encroached upon by the Chinese. This is all part of the Chinese salami slicing tactics. They they make a small claim for fun once, then they build an artificial island, then they start sending their ships there. It, it makes the region a de facto Chinese region because there are so many Chinese ships in the Philippines or Malaysia or Vietnam doesn't have anything like the number of ships that the Chinese have. So if you have a, a, a naval region where, where you find Chinese ships everywhere, everyone's going to acknowledge and assume that this is a Chinese region, a Chinese territory. Yeah, That's why the, the old adage of Joseph Stalin, that quantity has a quality of, it, of its own. You can see it in action over here. The more ships you can deploy in a region, the more it becomes your own region, Yeah, your territory. So you need numbers, you also need quality, but you also need numbers. Quantity has a quality of its own. The Chinese are using that to the, to their advantage, the number of ships they have. So this entire territory is now essentially being taken over by the Chinese. And there's nothing much the other nations can do about it. They, they, they have nowhere like the kind of uh, military strength, naval strength the Chinese have. For instance, India, ONGC, Oil and Natural Gas Co- Corporation of India, uh, had an agreement or, or or maybe it still has an agreement with the vietnamese government to uh, do oil ex- oil and gas exploration in the ocean in, in the in the territorial exclusive economic zone of vietnam so the ongc there were a couple of ongc vessels i believe that had gone uh, to this region i think it was in 2017 2018 2019 somewhere around there yeah and i believe there was an indian destroyer naval destroyer that was accompanying uh, these assets, and there was an encounter with Chinese uh, naval vessels, and they radioed the Indian ship saying that you are straying into Chinese territory, get out, and all that sort of thing. Obviously, the Indian ships did not get out, but you can see the kind of tactics the Chinese resort to bullying tactics, pressure tactics, you know, uh, trying to cow you down, uh, trying to bully you with military strength and display of military force, all that. So they are trying to prevent Vietnam from developing and exploiting the resources within its own exclusive economic zone, which I would say is a crime, yeah, when it comes to international law. Uh, but that's but might is right, like we always say. So this is the deal with the Chinese uh, claims. This is a different representation of that. You can see this, yeah, the Chinese claim. I mean. This region is so far away from China, but they are using fictitious historical claims, uh, historical data or whatever it is, made up historical facts to claim this entire region, which is so far away from the Chinese territory, from the actual Chinese mainland. So this is the deal. Now you will find they are pressurizing the Indonesians as well. This is an article from 2021. Underwater gliders found in Indonesian waters. Uh, And... And these are believed to be of Chinese origin. So these are these are from time to time discovered in Indonesian waters. So the Chinese are using these tactics to to uh, lay claim and to and to consolidate their claims on Indonesian territory. Uh, the next South China Sea crisis, China versus Indonesia. So this is an article from 2014. At that time itself, it was becoming apparent that China is going to encroach into Indonesian territory. And uh, yeah, this is an article about that. This is an article from 2015. Indonesia sinks first Chinese vessel in Indonesian waters that was uh, engaging in illegal fishing. So the Indonesians have taken strong steps, but it doesn't really deter the Chinese. The, the Chinese have a high tolerance for for uh, for risk here. Yeah? And of course, there is this, let me put this also on the screen. This is kind of humorous, but not so, not very much. So the Chinese will eventually recalibrate their nine-dash line and they will claim the moon as well. Yeah, this may look like a joke, but trust me, it's not really a joke. The Chinese are already making moves on the moon. They have these... Uh, the Chinese have been sending landers to the moon. Recently, they they had this, uh, this mission that brought back samples of the moon soil, the regolith and moon rocks, I believe it's come back to China or whatever. So they are step by step systematically making a move on the moon as well. and that's why India needs to be very very India needs to be cognizant of that. India cannot afford to be left behind when it comes to the moon race. The future obviously isn't space space exploration that's a new that's the next frontier for humanity. India cannot be afford to be left behind. So the Chinese are very clear about what they want and eventually they will make, they will stake claims to lunar territory as well. So this may look like a joke, but it's not really a joke. This has to be taken very seriously. So that is all about the uh, South Ch- the so-called South China Sea, which is actually the Champa Sea, the Champa Samudra, and the so-called Chinese Nine-Dash Line in this region. Yeah, that is about the South China Sea. Now let's go, uh, let's go somewhere closer to home. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about Afghanistan, shall we? So uh, when it comes to Afghanistan, the Chinese once again uh, have territorial uh, aspirations in this region. So let me uh, show you the map. Let's first take a look at the map of the region. So, as we know, Afghanistan is our neighboring state, uh, or neighboring uh, nation right now. Uh, we temporarily have the, the issue of Pakistan occupied Jammu and Kashmir and Baltistan, but it's a temporary issue. Pakistan itself is a temporary issue for us. So, according to the map, the, the correct map of India, India and Afghanistan have this narrow shared boundary. And there is this long strip of land which uh, connects Afghanistan. To, to Pakistan and to India, and which separates India from Tajikistan, this strip of land is called the Wakhan Corridor. Okay, it's called the Wakhan Corridor. Uh, the Chinese, like I said, they, they are, as you can see, the Tajikistan Xinjiang border is dashed on Google Maps, which means it's a disputed boundary. And the, and the Chinese are uh, essentially trying to move into the Wakhan Corridor of Afghanistan. As you can see, this is the Wakhan Corridor, the, the shaded region, yeah. And once again, let me remind you: this is a this is an American publication, so they are showing the Gilgit-Baltistan region as part of Pakistan. That is completely incorrect. I am showing you this for this for educational purposes. I do not support any such claim that is made by the Americans or the Chinese or the Pakistanis. Okay, please understand that disclaimer. So, the Chinese. They even covet Afghanistan's Wakhan Corridor. A few years ago, in the mid-2010s, I remember reading reports in the media about Chinese troops encroaching into the Wakhan Corridor illegally. That is during the time of the Karzai, Hamid Karzai. Um, was it Karzai or was the, who was the next guy? Uh, these Afghan presidents come and go. Uh, the nec- Ghani. It was during the, the time when Ashraf Ghani was the U.S. puppet president of Afghanistan, so so there were reports of the Chinese of Chinese groups encroaching into the Wakhan Corridor region, and there were long-distance photographs taken of Chinese vehicles in the Wakhan region. So the Chinese regard Wakhan; they, they covet the Wakhan Corridor region, and they would like to to essentially stake claim to this. Uh, so they have already been encroaching into this region. As we know, just ne- just north of Wakhan, the Chinese have, uh, they 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 have a military base in Tajikistan, in in the Pamir region, which the Chinese already, as we know, they 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 covet that area as well. So they want to take over Vakhan, the Wakhan region. They want to take over Tajikistan's Pamir region as well. They are not satisfied with the 2011 agreement between China and Tajikistan. They want more. And they want parts of Afghanistan as well, and of course they um, they have taken over parts of uh, they, they've taken over parts of Kashmir as well, so that's the deal. So even Afghanistan is uh, under threat from China, yeah. Then we obviously have Pakistan. So uh, let's take a look at this, right? This this gives us a, this this gives us a different uh, view of the thing. So once again, let me be clear. I support India's territorial integrity. I do not I do not agree with any claim of Pakistan or Afghanistan or the United States or any other nation, and, and their views. And, and the terminology they use for India's territories, like the so-called Azad Kashmir or whatever, I am just using this map for illustrative purposes. I do not support any of this nomenclature or any of these claims on Indian territory, right? And India will regain all these territories and more in the coming future. Please please be assured of that. So, <clears throat> as we know, Aksai Chin has been taken over by by, by the Chinese. The Vakhan region, the Chinese want it. North of Wakhan, you have Tajikistan, the Chinese want that as well. You have Gilgit-Baltistan, Gilgit, parts of it, which is currently under, under temporary Pakistani occupation. You have uh, the western region of, of Jammu and Kashmir, which is POK, the, Ch- the the Pakistanis occupy it. Then this red line in the, in the north over here, that is the historical region of Kashmir, that's how far it extended. Uh, some of it has been taken over by China. Some of it, the trans karakoram Pact has been handed over by the Pakistanis to China mm-hmm. to complicate matters further. Yeah. So this was the this, uh, Sino-Pakistan agreement. It was a 1963 agreement signed between the Pakistani government and, and Mao Tse-Tung's government. Yeah? At the time, I believe, uh, let's see the document. Here's the document. It was by under Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto. He was the Minister of External Affairs of Pakistan at the time. And uh, Mr. Chen Yi was the Minister of External Affairs of China at the time, and this essentially is the agreement that they signed, yeah. Uh, and according to the, this agreement, the the, the Pakistanis handed over the Trans Karakoram Pact uh, tract to the Chinese. That's what the Pakistanis did to complicate matters further and and get China involved in this in this uh, region even further. Uh, in 1962, the Chinese had already taken over. In the 1950s, they had taken over Aksai Chin. Yeah? And the great Mr. Nehru was not aware of it. When he was made aware of it, he dilly-dallyed and did nothing about it. Yeah, And as a reason, today, today Aksai Chin is temporarily under Chinese control. Temporarily, as we know. Yeah, uh, But here's the deal. The Chinese even want more Pakistani territory. Pakistan on brink of ceding more territory to China as Beijing gains momentum on the china pakistan economic corridor this is from 2022 january about a year ago once again i do not agree with these maps it is only for illustrative purposes that i'm showing it yeah i don't agree with any of the nomenclature on these maps i don't agree with any of the claims on this map i'm just showing it to you because this is this is how the world is yeah so the chinese are claiming they would like to to take over some more further territories in kashmir yeah and obviously we already have chinese occupied kashmir so even a territory that is currently under the occupation of pakistan yeah the chinese would like to take over that as well it, it, it would be very uh, it would be great for them if they can consolidate their hold on let's say parts of pok or parts of gilgit baltistan we have already seen reports that there are chinese troops in this region so clearly the Paki- the chinese They covet more territory in the Kashmir region and in Pakistan itself. Yeah. Uh, So that is about Pakistan. Uh, We spoke about East Turkestan, which uh, is the Uyghur region. It used to be called Uttarakuru. Then the, the the Turks conquered the region. They massacred the Indians who lived there. They destroyed all traces of Hinduism and Buddhism. And they killed off the men, but spared the women for we understand what purpose is. And the Uyghurs are the descendants of those people. They look like, half like Indians and half like Turks. That's what the Uyghurs look like. Yep. So that is East Turkestan and that's what uh, China has uh, China has taken over. Uh, where is that map? Let me put that map on the screen. East Turkestan. Where is it? Give me a second. Here it is. So the light blue region, which has which has Urumki and Kashgar, the old name, the true, the correct name of Kashgar was Kashinagar. That's what it was called in the past, before, before the Chinese took over. Even after the Turkic takeover of the region, Kashgar was called Kashinagar, but now it's called Kashgar. Um, uh, so yeah, so East Turkestan was taken over by, by the by the Chinese about a century and a half ago. Maybe a century ago. Yeah, it's it's a long, long history. Now, apart from that, let's take uh, let's talk about and as we can see, Tibet also is part of that. Tibet has been taken over. The Chinese invaded Tibet in nineteen fifty. It is uh, it is very important for us to understand that also. Uh, Until the nineteen fifties, until nineteen fifty, Tibet was independent. Yeah, and Tibet essentially was an Indian protectorate. It was India's responsibility to take care of Tibet. But Mister Nehru, he did not protect Tibet. Let alone, let alone protecting Tibet, he actually helped the Chinese to in, in, in their attempt to invade Tibet. He supplied the invading Chinese soldiers large quantities of rice without which they would have starved. So it is thanks to Mr. Nehru that the Chinese were able to invade and conquer Tibet. Once that happened, they started laying claims on Indian territory. It's all thanks to the great magnificent Prime Minister of India, Mr. Nehru. Yes, and that gave rise to other things as well. So now let's talk about the Chinese Five Fingers policy or whatever they call it. Let's put that on the screen. So this is something that Mao Zedong used to speak about. The Five Fingers of Tibet. So the Five Fingers of Tibet according to Mao Tse were uh, Ladakh, Nepal, Sikkim, Bhutan and Arunachal. Ladakh obviously is an integral part of India. Sikkim obviously is an integral part of India bhutan is an indian protectorate india it is india's responsibility to keep bhutan safe and secure and to ensure that bhutan's territorial integrity is not uh, infringed upon and then arunachal which is an integral part of india but the chinese have claims on that as well and then there is nepal yeah so the chinese under mao zedong used to uh, make this this, this uh, this claim the five fingers of tibet and all the territories associated with that now this policy was put in cold storage in the 1960s uh, the china the, the claims over the five fingers were asserted emphatically and frequently from 1958 to 1961 over the peking and lhasa radio systems yeah this policy was never discussed later in chinese public statements. It is officially dormant now, but you will see that this is an article from 2017. This is a Chinese language article. It is. Uh, I am showing you the automatic machine translation into English. So let's see what they say. They have reopened the five fingers issue. Uh, Mao Tse once vividly likened Tibet to Bhutan, Sikkim, Nepal, Tibet, and Ladakh as a relationship between palms and fingers. Although India has taken away Tibet's Five Fingers, Five Fingers still has the centripetal force for Tibetan culture, and so on. So, so they are again opening up the claim on the Five Fingers, which is Le- Nepal, Ladakh, Sikkim, Bhutan, and Arunachal Pradesh. So the Chinese would like to take over all these territories, including Bhutan, including Nepal, including Arunachal Pradesh, including the whole of Ladakh, including Sikkim. This is Chinese expansionism in in, well, in, public, in full public display. So now let's talk about Nepal. So these days, the Nepalese politicians are very friendly with China. Aren't they? We know that. Uh, Now we have this this guy, Pushpa Kumar Dahal, Mr. Pachanda, who has now become the Prime Minister of Nepal. It is said that uh, the Chinese Communist Party had a hand in creating this coalition and uh, bringing about this arrangement by which Mr. Pushpa Kumar Dahal has become the Prime Minister of Nepal. This is a very recent event in this this month itself, in the last one month itself. Uh, In the Previously he was part of a pro-India coalition, Mr. Mr. Pachanda, but now he is back, he seems to be back in the pro-China camp. Yeah. Nepal is playing a very dangerous game by consorting with China. It is a very dangerous game they are playing. The Chinese claim the entirety of Nepal. I have shown you a, a different map. Let me put that on the screen once again. The Chinese claim the whole of Nepal. As part of the Five Fingers policy, uh, Five Fingers claim. And according to this map, they, they claim parts of Nepal. According to this map, they claim the whole of Nepal and so on. Yes. So the Nepalese have to be very careful in their dealings with China. The Chinese are not Nepal's friends. Now, let's take a look at what's happening right now. When it comes to China and Nepal, let's put something else on the screen this is an article from November 2022 just a couple of months ago just a couple of months ago China encroaches on 36 hectares of land along Nepal's northern border China's salami slicing strategy on Nepal's northern border has resulted in the encroachment of 36 hectares of Nepal's land at 10 places, it's not in one place it's in 10 different places, there may be more yes so the Nepalese need to be very clear. The Chinese are not their friends. The only friend Nepal has, the only trustworthy friend that Nepal has is India. I always said there are there are no friendships in geopolitics, but Nepal is not a separate country. I mean, it is a separate nation state, but it's part of India's civilization. It's been part of India's civilization for 10,000 plus years. Yeah, The Nepalese are the same people as us. They're the same culture as us. They have always been an integral part of the Indian subcontinent and various Indian uh, kingdoms, empires, dynasties. There are blood relations, inseparable, unbreakable blood relations between India and Nepal. So India and Nepal can actually be considered to be friends. The Chinese have, they don't wish the people of Nepal well. Nepal is just a tool, a temporary tool to be used from the Chinese perspective. And the Nepalese politicians... The Chinese have deep pockets. So it's easy to buy politicians. You know, that's a deal. So it is a very dangerous game that Nepal, the Nepalese government is playing right now and the various Nepalese politicians are playing right now. It is a very dangerous game they're playing. Yeah. So understand that Nepal is playing a dangerous game and China is not Nepal's friend. Now, as we know, Bhutan also, we have the Doklam crisis. Uh, let's go to the map. Do we have a map? Yeah, we have a map. Let's go to Bhutan. So once again, if we look at the map of Bhutan, Google supports various Chinese claims on the on Bhutanese territory. If you click here, it will say ha Bhutan, but but it, it will show the map. The, the, the boundary of this region with the dashed lines, which means that it kind of says that, suppose the Chinese perception that, that this is disputed territory. And the Chinese have been laying claims to various other parts of Bhutanese territory. There are reports that the Chinese have encroached, once again, here and there, salami slicing tactics, a couple of hect- hectares here, two, three hectares here, maybe larger portions elsewhere. Mm-hmm. They are indulging in the same sal- salami slicing tactics that they are indulging in with, with respect to Nepal, in what they are trying in various parts of the India-Tibet border as well. So Bhutan is under Chinese threat. And the, the good thing is that the Bhutanese government is under no illusions. It's not misled and delusional like the Nepalese government. The Bhutanese are very clear that the Chinese are an existential threat for Bhutan. Just see what happened to Tibet. The same can happen to Bhutan. So Bhutan is under threat from the Chinese. The Chinese have territorial claims on Bhutan as well. Let's talk about Myanmar. Um, the Chinese claim that the India that the Arunachal Pradesh Tibet border is undefined because it is the Ma- the McMahon line which the British created, and they say that we don't recognize anything the British have done. So this border, which was delineated by the British, is something we will not recognize. But what's funny is that the same McMahon line also divides Nepal. Uh, sorry, it also divides Myanmar and China, and over there the Chinese are perfectly happy to recognize that part of the McMahon line. McMahon Line, whatever whatever it's called, yeah. So this is an example of real time hypocrisy by the Chinese. On the Indian side, they will not recognize the line. On the on the Burmese side, they will recognize the line. Yeah, and uh, so Burma and China, Myanmar and China also have territorial tens- tensions and disputes. Uh, there is this uh, there is this uh, territory of the chinese which is very close to the indian border from which they they push in you know arms and ammunition which supports various uh, indian separatist groups the chinese have been supporting and fomenting and instigating various separatist movements across what we call the northeast of india which is the far east of india from the 1950s onwards yeah uh, I will not go into the details, but they have been doing it. They have a long and old history of doing that. And they typically send in arms and ammunition and supplies, etc. from their border with Myanmar. If you see the, the distance, it's it's barely 300 kilometers. Yeah. Uh, so that's what the Chinese have been doing for the longest time. But the thing is that the Chinese have border disputes with Myanmar as well. For instance, take a look at this. This is an article from 2022, July. Amid border disputes, China cuts off electricity to Myanmar's village. Owing to border demarcation disputes between Beijing and Nyapidao, China has cut off electricity in the northern Shan state of Myanmar for nearly nine months, media reported. Yeah. So for whatever reason, the Burmese Shan state, it, it gets its electricity from China. And the Chinese have shut it down for nine months. That was in July last year. Yeah. So there are border demarcation issues there. Uh, Well, officially the the China-Myanmar border is, is settled. It's a settled issue. There is no issue there. And yet, even though the border issue is settled and there are no disputes there, the Chinese are still encroaching in the region and there is a border dispute. So despite there being no border dispute, there is a border dispute. And not just one, but multiple border disputes. So that's the deal. Even when you have an agreement and everything is settled on the map, still they are opening border disputes with a small nation, with a weak nation like Myanmar. Myanmar villages destroy Chinese fence amid border dispute. This is a uh, an article from 2021. Chinese authorities encroached on Myanmar territory. So once again, the Chinese are encroaching on on, on on a smaller nation, on a weaker nation. Yeah. Once again, there is no no surprise there. This is about the Wakhan Corridor and so on. We, we spoke about that. So... Um, so, when it comes to Nepal, when it comes to Myanmar, when it comes to Bhutan, when it comes, even when it comes to Pakistan or Afghanistan or Tajikistan, the, the Chinese have border disputes everywhere, even where they have agreements that have that have settled the border issue. Yeah, that is a Chinese uh, pattern of behavior you see all the time. Now, let's talk about India. Yeah, let's talk about India. I think we are all reasonably cognizant of the... India-China border issue, it all uh, dates back to the 1950s when Mr. Nehru allowed the Chinese to take over. He aided and abetted the Chinese in their conquest of Tibet. That's where it all begins. Yeah, And since then, the entire region has been, they, the Chinese have steadfastly refused to demarcate the India-Tibet border. Uh, they they. Took over, they started constructing ro- a road, which you can see here. Yeah, you can see this yellow road over here. They started constructing the road in the 1950s, early 1950s, after they invaded and conquered and annexed Tibet. And Mr. Nehru, for whatever reason, as the Prime Minister of India, was not aware of it. When he was made aware of it, he said, "What's the point in of 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 holding on to accession? Mm-hmm. Not a blade of grass grows there." That's the kind of leader we were given. We were forced to have by the great Mr. Gandhi. Yeah, uh, so then India and China we went to war at least twice. 1962 we lost because Mr. Nehru refused to allow the air force, the Indian Air Force, to participate for whatever reason. He refused to give the Indian Air Force permission to participate in the war. So the Chinese knew that nothing is coming from the air. We're gonna we're gonna be fine. And that's why India lost the 1962 war. We lost uh, multiple territories. The Chinese had encroached all the way into parts of Assam. And Mr. Nehru was willing to give up Assam as well. He said on All India Radio that my heart goes out to the people of Assam. Yeah. It it means that I am very sorry for them, but I I will do nothing about it. Of course, the the Chinese withdrew from the region eventually. Uh, so, So the Chinese... One in 1962, there was a second war in 1967 that the Indians won and the Chinese were defeated. Your teachers will not teach you this. Your history textbooks will will not tell you this. The media will not speak about this. India defeated China in the 1967 war. Yeah? Yeah. So that's the deal. And then in 1987, there was a fresh round of, of trouble in the Arunachal Pradesh region. The Chinese tried to encroach into Indian Indian territory and the Indians defeated China there as well in 1987. But once again, you will not know about this because no one will is willing to speak about this. Whenever India is made is is does something that, that is good and that is advantageous to India, the media keeps quiet quiet. Your historians and your teachers will keep quiet about that. So India defeated China in 1967 and in 1987. The Sumdorong Chu clashes. Uh, so that's the thing. So the Chinese have steadfastly refused to demarcate the India-Tibet border. The uh, China-Nepal border is more or less demarcated, and yet they are encroaching on Nepalese territory. Yeah, But they claim the entire region of Arun- Arunachal Pradesh. They claim more parts of Jammu and Kashmir. They claim parts of, of, of Himachal Pradesh, Uttarakhand, whatnot. They claim the whole of Sikkim. They want Bhutan as well. Yeah, The deal is that we can never trust China. And the only way to resolve this issue once and for all is a long-term thing. It is by liberating Tibet. That is the only way India is going to have a peaceful northern border that will only happen when Tibet is free of, of Chinese occupation. That's not something that's going to happen next week or next month or next five years or maybe next 10 years but we should have a 20 year horizon for this. That we need to somehow find a way of doing it. In the 1960s, President Kennedy told the Americans that by the time this decade is out, we want to put an American man on the moon and bring him back. And that was an impossible task. But once you set yourself an impossible task, you can actually make it happen. And the Americans made it happen in 1969 when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon and he uh, and he was able to come back successfully. Give yourself a 20 year horizon and make this happen one way or the other. It can happen. So the solution to the India-China issue is the liberation and freedom of Tibet. There is no other solution. It is The northern border is never going to be stable. It's never going to be peaceful. It's always going to be a threat for India as long as China occupies Tibet. We need to find a solution. There are multiple ways of finding a solution, but that's the deal. Yeah. So that is about... Uh, that's about the India-China issue. Now let's talk about Chinese expansionism. We have talked about the territorial disputes, but what about other kinds of expansionism? And by that, we are talking about the string of pearls, the Chinese string of pearls. So beginning 2008 onwards, the Chinese Navy started getting involved in anti-piracy operations in the Indian Ocean region. In Off the coast of Somalia, there were these pirates who would, you know, Indulge in piracy, and it caused a lot of problems. Yeah, they would take uh, entire vessels uh, captive. They would take hostages and ask for ransom, and it was it was a huge uh, problem because there is a choke point here, the Bab al Mandeb Strait between the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea. And the Somali pirates were very active in this region, the Horn of Africa region. So various nations under the under the aegis of the United Nations. Uh, started uh, conducting anti-piracy operations in this region, including the Indian Navy. But The Chinese also got involved in this. This was in 2008. And since then, they have been active in the, uh, in the Indian Ocean region. Yeah, um, And they are constructing what, what has been called colloquially the String of Pearls, which is a method of encircling India navally. So what they do is they uh, acquire naval bases in various parts of this region. There is a base uh, in Myanmar. First of all, we have the Cocoa Islands, which Mr. Nehru gave away. So Mr. Nehru gave away the Cocoa Islands to Burma. And the Burmese handed, over, handed it over to the Chinese. Today you have an extensive Chinese uh, presence. This, as you can see here, there is an airstrip here. And there is... a. An electronics, electronic listening signals intelligence station over here, which the Chinese are operating. Yeah. So this is all thanks to Mr. Nehru. So this is one of the pearls in the string of pearls. Uh, then you have a port in uh, in uh, Myanmar. It's called the Kyao Pyu or something port. So they have a port in Myanmar. They also have a Hambantota, which is a port in the south of Sri Lanka, which they have acquired on a 99-year lease during the Rajapaksa days. It's very easy to, you know, to get uh, politicians to do what you want if you have deep pockets. So they have acquired that. They also covet parts of the Maldives, the Marao Atoll in the Maldives. Yeah, they would like to establish bases there. They already have some presence there, the Chinese, yeah. Then you have Djibouti, The port of Djibouti, which is like, it's a dual-use port. The Americans use it, even the Chinese use it. I've shown this in the past. I will not zoom in and show you the Chinese presence there, but it is there. And obviously, we have Gwadar, which is in Pakistan-occupied Balochistan, temporarily. Yeah, so there is that. So that they are essentially encircling India, and they would like to safeguard the various choke points. One is the Strait of Hormuz, from which much of China's oil comes in. They would like to safeguard the, the other choke point of the Bab Al-Mandib Strait between the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea. They would like to safeguard the uh, the Malacca Strait, yeah, because these are major choke points that can damage china's economy very badly if india or another nation decides to blockade them and the chinese can't stop the blockade so they are trying to you know take measures and take actions that will in the future prevent uh, help uh, help them prevent any such blockade one of the things they have been uh, you know discussing is the possibility of creating a gulf a, a, a panama canal kind of uh, canal in the kra isthmus of thailand so as you can see, this region, this very narrow strip of land, which belongs to Thailand, uh, it's somewhere here. They would like to build a canal over here, which could help them bypass the Malacca Strait. But that canal itself could become a choke point. You know, so th- they are in a dilemma when it comes to the to the Malacca Strait in this region. Even if they construct a canal in the Kra Isthmus, that canal would still be a second choke point. Obviously, it would give them another option apart from the Malacca Strait, but that's what it is. But uh, they are essentially trying to encircle India. One of the things they would like to do is to manage the choke points and the other objective is to encircle India at sea and they would eventually like to become the major Indian Ocean naval power. India always makes the statement that the Indian Ocean is our strategic backyard. Well, words and slogans don't change reality. You have to take action on the ground. India needs to invest in a more more massive navy. We need more naval assets. We need more submarines. We need more surface vessels. Like Like what the Chinese have done in the South China Sea, there are hundreds of Chinese vessels visible at any given point in time in the South China Sea. There is constant patrolling. When you have constant visible patrolling, it means that region is yours. What is India doing about that in the Indian Ocean region? Is... Uh, an Indian naval presence constantly visible in the Indian Ocean region. It is not. So India needs to stop spouting slogans, and and you know, using words for warfare. We need to invest in a stronger navy. We need at least a hundred more naval vessels. They don't have to be very expensive naval vessels. Invest in cheap naval vessels. Invest in cheap ships that can hold missiles, missile, missile boats. And and so on, you know, so there needs to be a constant and, and visible Indian naval presence in the Bay of Bengal, in the Sea of Saurashtra, in the Indian, in the Maldives region, and everywhere else, whatever region is of India's strategic uh, importance, India needs to be visibly present in this region through naval assets. And India cannot allow the Chinese to encroach upon what has always been for thousands of years, India's traditional zone of influence. Yeah, So that's the deal. So that is the string of pearls strategy that the Chinese are employing. So I hope that by now you understand that wherever the Chinese have a shared border with another nation, I forgot about about Vietnam, right? In 1979, the Chinese went to war with Vietnam. The Vietnamese, what they had done is they had liberated Cambodia from the Khmer Rouge. The Khmer Rouge were communists, were a communist uh, regime supported by China, which conducted a horrific genocide in Cambodia. I would say, I don't know how many millions of Cambodians died. Very, very horrific genocide. At least a million Cambodians died in this. Yeah, And Vietnam, which was and still is a communist nation, they invaded Cambodia and liberated the people of Cambodia from the horrors of the Khmer Rouge. In retaliation, the Chinese invaded uh, Vietnam. yeah, And for some time, the Chinese occupied some portions of Vietnam, but then the Vietnamese were able to retaliate and repulse the Chinese and drive them back. And the Chinese suffered way more casualties than the Vietnamese. So the Vietnamese won this war against the Chinese Communist Party and the Red Army. This is the last war that China has participated in. The 1979 war against Vietnam and the Chinese lost that war. So the last war the Chinese fought was against a very small nation, Vietnam, and they lost that war. That is the kind of track record the Chinese military has uh, during its last military engagement. Yeah. So uh, right now the territory, the, the border between China and Vietnam is kind of settled. But as we know, the Chinese keep intruding and encroaching upon Vietnamese um, the Vietnamese exclusive economic zone in the Champa Sea. And they claim the Paracel Islands and various other, various other territories that Vietnam also claims. So that is there also. So you will see this pattern everywhere. The Chinese have territorial disputes everywhere with every single neighbor of theirs. Even where they have signed a border agreement, a boundary agreement, even there they keep on encroaching on the territory one small slice at a time. The salami slicing tactic. Which is, so many, I get this question all the time. Can India and China form an alliance against the United States or whatever? The answer is, you can never trust the Chinese you can never ever trust the chinese communist party they are they have this never ending greed they have this never ending expansionist agenda they are trying to expand and encroach upon the territories of all their neighbors yeah and the, one of the biggest uh, disputes is the one with india so when it comes to india we can never ever trust the chinese we can only trust them to be greedy and duplicitous and 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 untrustworthy that's the only thing we can trust them with india and china can never have any kind of alliance india can never trust china and the only way to resolve the india china border dispute yeah is by liberating tibet from chinese occupation and this is not something that's going to happen anytime soon but it has to happen it may be it may sound like an impossible task like the moon landing that president kennedy spoke about in the in, i think in 1962 or 1963 but they made it happen when the Romans were facing these incredible setbacks against Carthage, you know, here is Carthage. Carthage was a major power at the time. And the Carthaginian general Hannibal Barca actually even invaded Italy. And he inflicted a catastrophic defeat in, in, in a battle, which wiped out the flower of the, of the Roman army. The Romans said that Carthage must be destroyed. Carthagio Delenda Est. We need to destroy Carthage once and for all. And eventually they were able to regroup, build a new Mm -hmm. army, and eventually they destroyed Carthage so thoroughly that it is still in ruins. Yeah, They even sowed salt into the soil of Carthage so that nothing can ever grow there again. That's how thoroughly they destroyed their mortal enemy. Now, I am not saying we need to destroy China or any such thing. Yeah? I have nothing against the people of China, but the Chinese Communist Party is a threat to all its neighbors. Asia will never be at peace as long as the Chinese Communist Party is in power. The first step for for India to be at peace at the northern border is to find a way of liberating Tibet from Chinese occupation. That is the long-term plan that India must have. Maybe the next 20 years, 30 at most, I would say 30 is too long. Next 20 years, maybe by... 2040 or so we need to find a way of liberating tibet only then will india be at peace yeah so that's the deal that is the deal with china you can never trust china they have the same strategy the same policy the same pattern of behavior with all their neighbors it's not only something that's reserved with uh, about uh, with india it's not somehow india's fault that this is this is the situation yeah and the solution doesn't lie with india changing its behavior the solution lies In making China change its behavior. And the the Chinese only understand one language, the language of strength, of force. Yeah? They only respect strength. They only speak the language of force and and, and strength. So if you want to negotiate with them, you have to negotiate with them from a position of strength. Yeah? Yeah? and the only thing is we need to liberate tibet only then will india ever be peaceful will have a peaceful northern border and that's going to be a big project on in its own yeah so for that to happen india has to rise if india wants to liberate tibet from chinese occupation india has to transform itself in if you look at the present day india of today 2023 it is india is not strong enough india is not capable of liberating tibet today So India has to become a different kind of power, something it is not today. It has to become at least twice or thrice as powerful as it is is today. So like I say, we need to focus on the economy and focus on our military strength. We are investing in extremely sophisticated missile systems. We are slowly beginning to invest in a more powerful navy. It is not going as fast as I would like to see it, but at least it's happening. We need more submarines. We need a massively more powerful invisible navy. We need to augment our air force strength manifold, and this can only happen with a massively stronger and larger economy. So the solution is for India to rise, India to reclaim its historical position as the world's preeminent economy. The first step is five trillion dollar economy. Second step is ten. Once you are at ten trillion dollars, then you can then you are a different kind of beast. So that is what needs to happen. China cannot ever be trusted. BRICS, in BRICS you have India and China and Russia. The only way for BRICS to function in some viable way is for India and Russia to cooperate in counterbalance in China. Even, that, even then, i don't see brics being a very viable organization even if it expands significantly and like 10 15 more nations come into it and yet as long as there are these tensions between india and china brics is going to not function the way it ideally would function so uh, the only way to make china behave is for them to is to make them fear you so india needs to become a much larger economic and military power and for that we need about we need about a decade of peace We need to find a way of maintaining peace and not being involved in any major conflict for the next 10 years or so. If we can do that, we'll be in a good position. So that is what I wanted to speak about today, Chinese expansionism. And I hope I have thrown a reasonable amount of light on their pattern of behavior, their historical pattern of behavior. They simply can't be trusted, right? And as as we know, lots of other interesting things have been happening this week in geopolitics. But uh, I will not cover any of that today. Today is the first uh, episode of 2023. So I thought I should focus f- today, this one entire episode on India's major threat, on the major adversary, not only of India, but of for every other nation in the Asia Pacific region, in, the, in, in Asia itself. Right? So, uh, so that's it for today. And uh, I'll speak about other things uh, next week. And I will, uh, we have two more live streams coming up uh, this week. Tomorrow, we have a podcast with uh, with uh, Dr. with Professor Gautam Desi Raju about his new book, Bharat India 2.0. And on Sunday, we have the Ask Abhijit live stream. So I look forward to seeing you in those live streams. Tomorrow's podcast is at 7 pm, not 9 pm. So don't miss watching that. So until the next live stream, uh, take care. Thank you for watching. And I will see you very soon. Bye.